Welcome to Attached, a platform for adding breadth and depth to everyday living. I'm Yaakov Danishevsky, and this is the conversation series focused on my book. In each episode, I invite a special guest to discuss the topic of a particular chapter and how it relates to our lives. Welcome to another conversation episode where we're going to be looking at the third chapter of the book. Today, I'm joined by Rabbi Yitzi Horowitz, a new friend of mine, someone who I've known from a distance as a prominent psychotherapist, a prominent lecturer, both of Shirim and of psychology, and somebody that I think is, is well known uh, in, in our world. Uh, but I've only recently become uh, personally connected and something I'm, I'm very uh, grateful for and looking forward to connecting more. Thank you for making the time to to have this conversation with me. Oh, with pleasure, with pleasure. Thanks so for- we're we're going to look at the topic in the third chapter of the book, as usual, we're using that as our springboard for the conversation. And the third chapter, to just very briefly summarize, is about how uh, how we meet God. I don't want to say how we meet God because it's it's my approach to how I find Hashem. Uh, doesn't you know? It's it's certainly not the only one. But the, the, the basic premise of the book is the idea that we can actually have a personal relationship with Hashem, with God, and not, not only a belief in a concept of believing that there's a creator or that there's a higher power or God, but we can actually experience that connection. And if that's the, the premise and the whole purpose, really, in a nutshell of the, of the book is that we can experience that relationship with Hashem then what I think that means is that we need to find Hashem through experience. And so what I set out in this chapter is to offer one version of how we can find Hashem through experience and not only through a world of ideas or a world of tradition, which are both important. The world of ideas are deeply important and the world of tradition is deeply important, but also through a world of of our personal primal experience within ourselves, within our bodies, within our senses, within our feelings, that we can actually experience the presence of this being, which opens the door for a more personal relationship. So Rabbi Horowitz, I'm curious to hear what your thoughts are on on that type of, of approach or, or, or proposition that we can actually experience that kind of closeness with, with God. Sure. I, I really wanted to just start by saying to what I said to you on our, on our first phone call, which was a couple of days ago, about how how exciting I was to, to see this book, um, specifically using very, very modern day concrete language that um, is both psychological as well as chock full of ideas. I mean, so much of the notes that are, so many of your notes are really, really just like well thought out and presented in a, in a concise and clear readable manner. Um, so I'm not just saying that I appreciated the way the book was written, but the content also was really just like right, right on target. So I'm- Thank I'm you so much. Thank you. You know, one of the things that came to my mind when I read the book was a question that was, uh, that's asked by a scientist slash poet whose name is Andrea Weber. And he poses the following question. His question was, who has a more accurate depiction of a forest? The ecosystem of a forest. Who has a more accurate depiction of a forest? A scientist who can explain to you the whole scientific background of how ecosystems work, how the trees provide shade and the chlorophyll and the roots and the the soil and the animals that are there and the sunlight and all that stuff who can explain all that or the poet who can sit under a tree and experience whatever radiance and magnificence the poet can experience, who has a more accurate description of what a forest is. Mm. And he makes the case to say, obviously, that you need to have both. But the scientist who's never experienced the beauty that the poet has experienced cannot know what a forest is. And, and for me, in reading this this particular chapter, that was one of the things that was resonating in the back of my mind is the question of the capacity to encounter and experience something that is infinite, which simply means something that's unknown. And that unknown really can be full of anxiety and that unknown can be full of uncertainty and it can also be full of the opportunity for 
all different kinds of uh, growth, possibility, um, excitement, etc. So that that's the first that, that was the first thought that came to my mind. Yeah, it's beautiful. It's beautiful, and uh, I I think really speaks to so much of of our lives in terms of the 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 challenge that I that I know that I've experienced in my life, and I think a lot of people do of living more in our heads than in our experience. I have in I have in my office a a a copy of a of a famous painting, uh, in my in my therapy office uh, of uh, I actually. The truth is, I came to it not from knowing art, but I came to it from a, an article that by Ruven Leichter wrote. It's I forgot the name of the artist. I, I, you know, forgive me, but the the picture is of a man looking in a mirror, and in the mirror, so you're facing you're facing this individual, and he's facing the mirror, uh -huh. and you're facing the back of his head, and he's looking into the mirror, and you see in the mirror reflecting back to him the back of his head. Ah, interesting. So you don't see, so so he, so the idea is that he's seeing what other people are seeing when he's looking in the mirror, but he's not seeing what he's actually seeing. Right. Interesting. And there, there's so much depth to, you know, how you can interpret what that means. But I think one of the very powerful ways is, is how we often go through life thinking about what we're experiencing instead of experiencing it. Right. Yeah, certainly, 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 certainly. Yeah, I mean, that kind of brings me to the, one of the other things I was thinking about is how much um, a lot of this book and a lot of your attempt, and I think a lot of what a lot of us are looking for is, um, you know, I personally was raised in a in an Orthodox from home. I was, I went to Orthodox Jewish yeshivas and religion was was handed to me in a very, very particular format that from day one, I mean, you know, I, <laughs> my father reminds me of the story. When we went, we went to Sesame Street place, you know, out in, uh, in yeah. Pennsylvania once. And um, I was a little, little kid and we we're sitting around in a, in a circle and the character um, Big Bird asked, okay, kids, what's the first thing you do when you wake up in the morning? And my hand shot up and I, and they came over to me and they said, what is the first thing you do? I said, I watched Nugglewasser. <laughs> <laughs> so That's Big Bird goes, you did what? And my father, like, I remember this vision, my father, like running over to me, like to try to like stop the interaction, you know, but like I, you watch that. I don't know. That's what I do. Like I, maybe I say to my Dani first, I, I don't know, but like, <laughs> you know, so there's so much that's handed to us prepackaged, preformatted, and so much information and so much idea. And then the question becomes, um, well, how, you know, how does that fit with encountering a personal experience of a an infinite creator god hashem like and how does that and then how do you take that back into torah like that's but for even forgetting that that discussion but how you take that back into torah but how do you begin the process of discovering a god when everything about god has been pre-formatted packaged given to you through the the, mul the multitudes of shiurim that you've heard and the halakhas you've learned and all that kind of stuff and the idea of whether you're forced by some kind of internal searching or you're just looking for some form of experiencing a being, something beyond. Um, I, it's like sometimes it feels like Shalom, that there, you know, there's the personal God and there's the religious God. Right. Um, and how do you make that kind of work? Right. You know I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it kind of goes, it reminds me, it goes back to the Machlokas, the argument between Yisro and Moshe Rabbeinu, right, with Moshe's sons, right, that Yisro wanted wanted Moshe to raise them in a way that they would be able to just, you know, kind of explore for themselves and arrive on their own, and Moshe uh, said, no, they have to, you know, be raised with the basis and the foundation, uh, and 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 it's interesting because I'm I'm not remembering all the details right now, but I'm trying to remember if somehow, even though we don't follow Yisro's approach, of course, somehow there is, there's a way in which we see that Moshe concedes to it, maybe with one of them, or that or that there's some way in which Yisro's Havamino, Yisro's claim has some validity, right? So so there is, there is something to that. And yet it seems, right, that if we don't 
if we don't pass on the 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 basis, then the chance of them finding the personal God is actually even more slim. Yeah. <laughs> You're right. Right. So then, so so I'm curious. So what 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 would you say? What do you you know? How do you for yourself or for for clients or talmidim? How do you help people kind of navigate through through this? Um, I'd rather talk about my kids. You know? <laughs> Great. Like, yes, uh, that's another option. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I think it's a, it's a real it's a real question. You know I, that I I think about I think about all the time. I mean, I you know, I, can I know I have three we have three beautiful children and each one goes to a separate school and. They're all getting, they're all getting chinuch, and um, and the question becomes, how do I talk about the personal relationship I have with God? How do I talk about, um, how do I experience it, and how do I live it in my house? Uh, and leaving room for like, I have my own personal ways of doing it, and uh, my kids are obviously being raised with my personal way and my wife's personal way and whatever whatever our joint way of doing it is, and at the same time. How do we give them the opportunity to, uh, to 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 find the freedom to choose and to be interested in choosing? Um, and that's a that's a delicate balance. It really yeah. is a delicate balance. I, I do want to say something about like therapy because that's that is that is where I think maybe this question looks a little different for me. Um, a lot of the way that I look at psychotherapy is about like developmental stages, like where people are at developmentally. And, and this is maybe, I, I'm going to try to express this in the, in, in the clearest way that I can, but it, if I get lost in my head, you know, you'll, you'll yeah. bring me back to it. But like, I find sometimes when I think about this with clients, like where does God fit in to the psychotherapy process? Where does, where does God fit in? Um, you know, as like you and I talked about, I don't bring God up to most of my clients. Um, I don't, I mean, lately it's been, I've had more comfortability with it, but generally speaking, I don't, um, one or two, or maybe a little more than that are clients that are, are learning a lot of Musa, learning a lot of Hasidus. And then, and then I'll just, I'll just, you know, we'll, we'll go, we'll go at it together. Mm-hmm. For me, God is found really, really, really in the unknown. And, and that to me is, is, I think, going back to something that we were just, just talking about. For me, when a client looks at their reality, when a person looks at their reality as in the frame that they see it in their life, right here, right now, everything that I know about myself, everything I'm thinking about myself, everything I've experienced, whether it be trauma, whether it be some kind of you know, arrested development um, or crisis that's going on in my life right now, my ability to experience myself right now, right here, is in some ways, um, life is what it is. It just is what it is. There's nothing more. There's nothing less. Take it or leave it. And I'm not talking about mindfulness. I'm talking about just the day-to-day experience, the second-to-second experience. What gives me the ability to believe that there's something more? What gives me the ability, the, the, the ability in this split second to know that this is not all there is, that there is something beyond, um, and that there is something that's that's possible more than this. And it brings me back to these words, and I always misquote them, so I'm going to look it up. These words from Rav Cook. It's funny. I, I said I knew it before we got on, and I, oh, here we go. <laughs> Rav Cook writes. I mean, it's based on a medrash. Rav Cook writes, just like the shvach of HaKadosh Baruch Hu emanates from Gan Eden, the shvach of HaKadosh Baruch Hu emanates from Gehenim. The seif and everything is in a state of, the seif everything is always headed toward transcendence, the towards sweetening, well, his Kadesh and towards becoming more holy. So we can have a much longer discussion about uh, what it means to be a therapist and how I look at Averas and what it means to hit rock bottom and what it means to descend. Uh, but the, the, the basic idea is, is that you can go forwards or you can go backwards, but everything is in a state of transcendence and everything is in a state of sweetening. 
even when it looks like there's, excuse my French, there's hell on earth. I'm, I'm living in hell. But so there is this belief or this sense that that's where God is found. In those, in those pockets, in those little tiny moments when I'm able to feel, oh wait, there's something more that's possible. That little tiny feeling to me is the tiniest experience of God. Hmm. Now, you don't have to say that that's God, but to me, that's where I find it. When mm -hmm. any moment that that I am sitting with a client and I see something in their eyes, there's any kind of aha moment or any any sense of like, oh, you mean this is not all there is? That to me is where that person's encountered God. Hmm. Wow. So 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 it's the idea, kind of that that whatever is is apparent right now, whatever is, whatever is presenting itself naturally in a sense should just be the way it is and it should just essentially stay the way it is the fact that we perceive or we connect with a possibility of there being something more or some form of renewal or some form of of development or the ability to possibly potentially reimagine the way we look at something or the way we experience something any of that potentiality, the the potential of potential, any of that right. is because there's something transcendent to the reality of what of isness of what is, and that that being that and and that little that taste of possibility of potential. That's that's what's transcendent to to the situation right now, and that possibility is. A, an inkling almost as if of that which is actually infinite and is what gives the potentiality of of moreness to the to the it to what is absolutely absolutely you know years ago i was very interested in looking at the difference between oblivion and infinity hmm. you know addicts search and search and search and search and they end up in oblivion and the the you know the the 12-step idea of you know you're you're not looking in the right place, but you're looking for something more and beyond yeah. You're yeah. Looking for infinity. So how do you know when you're looking for a, when you're stuck in oblivion and when you're touching infinity? It's like the Gemara has a, a lashon of Ain Ledover Safe, right? That's that's oblivion. Hmm. And we uh in our tradition that Mukubalam referred to Akadish Baruch as Ain Saif, right? So there's Ain Ladaver Saif and there's Ain Saif. It's like oblivion and infinity. And how do you really tell the difference between those two things? It's, 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 you can play with it in your mind, but. That's pretty incredible, actually. Can I, can we, can we go a little bit with that? Maybe, sure. I mean, maybe this is what you're saying sure. already, but Ain Ladaver Saif versus Ain Saif is. Are you giving ain sof? Are you giving infinity to a davar, to something that's tangible? Versus ain sof is about, as you said before, something that's that's actually ain sof is not even referring to an object. There's no davar. So the difference between infinity and oblivion is if you're giving if you're giving that level of power to something that's an object, that's a davar, that's oblivion. When you're when you're giving that type of infinity to something and you're allowing it to remain unknown. That's that's the that's infinity. Precisely, that's precise. That's precisely where I was going. Yeah, it, it, it's it's, you know, like, right. So, I I often do long term long term psychotherapy, and 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 at this stage, I think I get, I'm sure that there are many therapists that have gotten clients that have left me, and I get I get clients of people that have left other therapists, and sometimes as I watch people d descend into a real dark place they've tried everything they've tried the money they've tried they've tried spirituality they've tried religion they've tried uh all kinds of addictive behaviors and substances they've tried status all the dvarim of their lives has been aimed over safe and to get to a place within of aim safe means that you realize it's not about anything it really is about that nukuda 
that's within each and every one of us, uh, that is mamish, that is ain't saif. Now, it doesn't mean that you have to have some deep mystical experience and use psychedelics or or you know or or uh, or have all deep Kabbalistic kavanas, but it is about switching our focus from things and sometimes even sometimes from you know uh practices rituals to switch the focus from there to I, I need to focus on the isness the being right the feminine sense of just being and being held and being contained and recognizing the 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 dignity of me who i am what i am not for anything and not totally on anything but just the isness of me hmm. that to me is where we find the capacity to see the potential of everything hmm. so the the funny way of saying it is right here right now is where is where hashem is completely but if I'm not finding that, then I have to see the potential of what can be. And through that, I get back to right this moment of like, it's not oblivion, it's infinity. And infinity is packed into the tiniest little nothing. And it's also expanded into everything. Hmm. I need like a good long moment <laughs> to sit with this ain't so versus ain't love herself. I really, that's really, really incredible. Thank you. You're welcome. So, so, so I guess I'm wondering about a person who is in a situation and and doesn't sense that unknown potential they 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 don't feel like they can see that and how do we how when we're in that i forget talking about a person we're we're all there sometimes so how how when we are there when i'm there how do we reconnect because sometimes it feels natural it presents itself naturally to us even when we're down but the potential at least, or the potential of potential just appears. But then sometimes it's like, it just feels like it's nowhere to be found. So I think, I think different things work, work for different people and different things work at different times for different people. I can, I can share with you. I can share with you what, what I do for myself. Please. Um, You know, the word deep, the word deep can mean two different kinds of things. It can mean deep down and a deep, dark place. And it can also mean the depth of something, which is where we find more beauty. Um, I guess the way that I've come to experience these things is that it really is one, one and the same. And that if I push on the bottom of the lowest, lowest moments, you can pop out to the other side and find what's underneath. And what's underneath is an ashama. And to me, when those moments, when I, when I get to those moments and I, and I get to sense that uh, my life is, is either going in the wrong direction or I'm falling apart or like, I'm just stressed out and like I'm stuck in something. For me, it's about going down it's about going deep, not necessarily in, in, in Averas, but it just means like, let, let, let myself fall apart and then be caught on the other side by like, you know, as Rabbi Nachman said, this ancient Yesh Bolam, it's quoted, you quoted in your book, but it's like mamish. It's really, really true. Like at the bottom of the bottom of the bottom, like that's where your neshama is. Now, we're not meant to live in the bottom of the barrel. We're meant to live expressed and and living in this world and, and engaging with people and, and have jobs and have things that we do and be creative and all that stuff. But there are times when we have to stop and just go back down to a sense of, I'm gonna let go of everything I've done. I'm gonna let go of all the good I've done. I'm gonna let go of all the good intentions I have and all the goals that I have and all the things that I'm involved in doing and all the relationships that I have, all the things I'm connected to, all the things about my personal character traits and i literally will do this like as a meditation for myself i'll go through all of these layers until i'm like stripped everything away and i'm back down to a certain sense of i need to reconnect with my own significance i matter and i matter because i'm a bria i've been created by hashem my existence is not for a mission my existence is because hashem wants me to be here 
that's it. It's an act of love. It's that's my purpose on this planet. And that's it. And to bring myself back down to that place of being able to let it go, strip it all away, and and then and then and then restart the engine somehow. You yeah. know? That's that's what works for me. It's kind. It's 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 uh not not to just be so repetitive, but it, it really is. It, it's speaking to me again on this getting rid of the davar. So it's it's moving from the ain le davar self to the ain self, right? It's it's the davar is all the things I've become attached to, and I'm getting rid of that and going to the basic, 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 which is the ain self itself. Right. So the it, it's very counterintuitive, though, right? Like, help me speak this out because. Typically, when we feel down in that kind of a way, we don't lean into the feeling down. We try and we try and pull ourselves up. Right. But what you're saying, if I'm hearing you correctly, is actually kind of let yourself fall all the way down, almost intentionally. Right. So, I I know that it sounds it sounds counterintuitive, and I I don't I don't necessarily recommend this. Like you know. <laughs> I could just, I could just tell you what works. I could just tell you what works for me. You know, I've, I've found some of this in the writings of, uh, of the Kamarna, hmm. of Rav Isaac Makamarna, who, um, who was a scary, holy person, you know, but, but like, the, yeah, there is something about, about a sense of letting myself fall apart. And, and even if it means, you know, not, even even if it means ending up in some kind of like real despair, but it's 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 a guided sense of, but underneath that despair there is no despair. It's like it's like, right. A, an old wrestler Chassid once told me in our Israel, he said to me, "Ain't shum yesh boilam klal, afila kishiyesh yeyush." Right. Right. Even right. when there's yeyush, right. even when there's yeah, okay, you can you can hit a darg of yeyush, but then it's not about pulling yourself my. For me, it's not about pulling myself out of it. It's about allowing myself to go there and not being afraid. Because the more I'm allowing myself to be there, the more I get I can get comfortable with it. Mm. Now, gr granted, like um, this is what I do with clients. This is um, also not something I I just like dreamed up one day. I've, I've been in my own my own psychotherapy, mm. um, but this is. This is very much what Carl Jung, what Carl Jung discovered in in his life, somewhere towards the the midpoint or the or the towards the end of his life, where his most seminal work was uh, was something known as the Red Book. And what he did was the first first part of his life was very intellectual and all these ideas about the internal world of a person and very involved in politics. And he got to a point where he realized that he had not allowed himself to look at. The darker parts of himself, and he was terrified, um, and 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 allowed himself to do it, and wrote about it, um, and allowed himself to go into those darker parts, and came out the other side, a, a completely transformed human being. So that that's that's to me that's what works for me, um, but at the very least conceptually. To go back to what you're writing about, what I think you're writing about, and what you're getting at, and and what we're talking about is this concept of Hashem is here, right? Uncle Moshe's song: Hashem is here, Hashem is there, Hashem is truly everywhere. To find the mechanism within myself where I'm able to see that there's one tiny little extra capacity for something more than whatever this yeyosh or whatever this marishkaira might be, that's a muna. That is precisely what Amuna is. That's where I discover the Ravanishlo. Even if I'm not davening in that moment. But like if anyone who's ever experienced a low point and then has been able to move beyond or transform themselves in any kind of way, that's tasting the Ravanishlo. That's it. Right. So it might not sound like Hashem, you might not think it's Hashem, your Rebbe never told you it's Hashem. But to me, that is the energy of where Hashem exists inside of me. That's Hashem working through me, for me about me that's the personal connection i have with with god is everything that i've become that's it so to be able to go back to that place where i'm able to uh sometimes strip away everything and say the reason why i'm able to do all that is because i have an ashram inside of me 
every human being has that capacity. Every human being has a spark of God in them. The difference between a Jewish and a Shama and a not Jewish and a Shama, that's a whole, obviously a whole discussion, but, but that's God. That to me is God. That's the greatest manifestation of God is growth, capacity, opportunity, the unknown, the scary unknown, the exciting unknown, the, when that happens together, all of that. Yeah, yeah. So uh, I'm curious about, I, I think that's it's really incredible and, and it's, a, it's a little bit of a different angle than the way I write about it, which is why I'm so glad to be having this conversation. I think they, they're, they're in no way mutually exclusive and there's a lot of similarity, right. but it's a different angle and, I, and I really, it's really, really resonating with me very, very deeply. I'm wondering how a person accesses that or how you would frame that not from the the context of when a person is having a hard time or in a down moment mm -hmm. because actually the truth is in some ways in i guess it's it's there's there's pros and cons in both contexts but in some ways it's actually a little bit more natural to access or sense the unknown when we're really down because then the potential of growth is more is more is is calling us right because things are 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 broken so the potential for something to be fixed is there and the growth and renewal how does a person who is feeling good is feeling satisfied is life is going well life is life is good right as psychotherapists we're always you know thinking about the, the problems but but when when someone's good how, where do they find that unknown and that connection that personal experiential relationship to God, you know, in that context of life. Sure, sure. So I, I'm. I, you tell me. You tell me what you think about this. I, I think that um, the, the the cliche phrase is like living in gratitude. But I think, you know, I was just, it was just, I was just talking about this with my wife this morning. I, we had a, a very rare moment where where I had a few minutes before I was going to going to my office, and she was still home also, and. We went outside, we had planted uh, seeds because some of the grass like just hadn't grown in and whatever. So we had planted seeds and we were looking at, we were looking at the, at the, at the grass grow, you know, watching your grass grow. Um, and there was just a moment of, there was a breeze in the air. The sun was there. We were both standing on the, on the porch. And the question was like, can, can we stop? Can both of us stop for a moment and just be there? And just experience it, the beauty of it, the beauty of of anything, the beauty of of at a, a bar mitzvah, the beauty of of hustling down, you know, grocery shopping before you whatever it might be. But is there any way that I can experience the goodness of this moment? If I can, then that's also a gift from God, mm. right? That go, that maybe goes back to this question of the scientist and the poet where the scientist can explain all of the intricate details of how it works, but the poet is experiencing it, right? And that the experience of it is where you find God. And mm. I, I think maybe that's more of what, what you were writing about. Yeah, 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 that's that's beautiful. I, I would maybe maybe add slightly to it. I think it's the same thing. Building off of the way you were framing it before about kind of sensing the unknown, at least speaking just from my experience, I think that in those moments, those kind of beautiful moments, there is a sense that the beauty of this experience, the enchantment of the experience, the sweetness of the experience somehow goes beyond, In there's something unknown about it that's beyond what the, the actual physical yeah. experience can capture. Precisely. So right. in the down moments, that unknown appears to us in the sense of the potential for growth, the potential for healing, the potential for for change, and the potential for things getting better, to put it kind of, you know, just Lamaisa. Right. In the in the good moments, the 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 unknown presents in the sense that the the sweetness and the the beauty of it kind of calls to us from something even beyond what we can explain. Yeah, no, but I think the the word you used was enchantment. I think yeah. that's precisely. I think that's precisely. It's, yeah. It's, it's like, you know, Hakar Satayif has also become somewhat of a of a cliche thing, but but it's almost like you have to have Hakar Satayif that you have the capacity to experience enchantment, hmm. right? Yeah. Because that's. I think you're right. I think that's. I think that's it. The ability to 
the ability to be enchanted. You know, it, it reminds me, I don't, I don't know how, how far out we can go, but it reminds me of, uh, of what Heschel, Heschel writes about radical amazement, to live in a state of radical amazement. Like to, to wow, to be amazed, you know? Yeah. Wow. And I can think of a few people in my life who, like, when you talk to them, they get like, wow. And it's like, really? You, you didn't know that? But the answer is, yeah, they did. But they're, they're, living, they're living in a state of amazement. I'll, I'll, I'll tell you a story. I'll tell you a quick story. Um, I shared with you that I, I know Ramosha Weinberger from, from the bungalow from many, many years ago. And we used to do Shal Shudas together. In, uh, in, in, in the shul, they would, they would announce, you know, Shal Shudas was 35 minutes before Myrev. And, uh, you know, the way Shal Shudas goes in many, many places. So uh, 12, 12 guys would get together and one guy would bring the iced coffee that his wife made the Sunday before. And one guy would bring, you know, stale tuna fish. And this guy had herring in the fridge from there. And they had some little ends of challah. Yeah. <laughs> and then they would sing three songs and then, uh, and then every week it was a rotation. Somebody would get up and, and say it by Torah. So I remember one week they asked me, and I got up, and as I was getting up to say the to say whatever by Torah, like Rabbi Weinberger was sitting there, and there was like this momentary pause of like, I, I would think I was twenty one or twenty two. It's like, what am I doing? Like this, <laughs> this didn't, didn't fit. But he listened. He listened the whole time, and he he said shkayach. He said shkayach. And then the same thing happened a few years later and it happened a few years later than that. And it dawned on me in my mind, oh, he heard, he heard the, the Kedusha's Levi that I said. He knew the Naim al He knew it. He knew it. But he was living in a state in that moment of like, I'm, 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 listen, I'm not, it's not that I'm listening to you, Yitzi, to give you covered. I'm living in a state of, of uh, what's going what's gonna to come out of his mouth. What's he right. saying? Looking right. forward. I'm open. I'm, I'm, I'm in this state of possibly being awed. It's a very vulnerable state and it's a very vulnerable way to live. But but to live like that is how people can experience gratitude. Yeah. And and that's and that's how you that's the only way you can really I think you can live a life where you can discover God, Hashem. Like yeah, there is something beyond me, there's something beyond this moment. It's not just about the trees. And it's not just about the words that the Neumann Melech said. I want to hear how you say it. Mm. The way you say it is going to say something different to me. And the way you and the way and, and how I'm going to hear it on this Shabbos is going to be different than how I heard it last year, that Shabbos, whatever. It's just amazing. It's it's remind it's it's making me think of a new a new way of understanding the the well-known Gemara about Eno Dome Shona halacha, I think, right? You can't compare a person who learned something a hundred times to someone who learned it a hundred one times. So there's many pshatim on this. And what I'm saying now is certainly not the pashup shot, the simple interpretation, but I've never thought about it like this before. But hearing you talk about this, what I'm thinking about is you can't compare a person who's learned it a hundred times to the person who's learned it a hundred times and one time, meaning a hundred times means that I've learned it one time, the, which was the first time. And now each time I learn it, it's no longer the first time. It's the 20th time, it's the 60th time, it's the 100th time. A hundred and one times, it doesn't mean 101. It means I learned it a hundred times, but now when I learn it, it's the first time again. It's mea pamim ve'echad. It's a hundred times and then again a first time. Not 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 101, but a hundred and first. Right. It's so, it's so, such a beautiful, it's such a beautiful shot in Mechamara. Yeah. Yeah. I like so, it. so maybe just as, as a last question to that, I'd love to hear you to hear your thoughts on some people come to this more naturally, this, uh, this kind of consciousness of curiosity, this sense that there's something more, the intuition that, that there's something unknown. And a lot of people can't really access that very easily. I'm curious, you know, you mentioned before that you think about psychotherapy a lot and, and your practice with clients a lot from a developmental standpoint. I'm sure you can probably take this question in a hundred ways, but maybe from, you could take it any way you want, but I'm wondering maybe in terms of developmental stages and what can happen in a person's upbringing that kind of gets in the way of this developing, uh, ha, you know, what are some of those factors and how does a person who doesn't come to this naturally, how do they access this part of themselves? 
Well, I think you're, I, I'm not sure if you're asking me what kinds of things can happen in upbringing that would, would cut someone off from being able to experience this. Is that, is that, is that? Is yeah, that kind of, I guess what I was thinking about, but again, you could take it any way you want. What I was thinking about is, you know, even the phrase you mentioned before of kind of arrested development, right? So in terms of yeah. de developmental stages, which happen, you right. know, in terms of a certain sequence and, and things can, you know, create a, a, a stifling of that development. Sure, sure. So I'm a very big fan of a woman named um, Jonas Webb, Dr. Jonas Webb. Uh, she wrote she wrote a few books. They're very underrated. Um, they're also in my few conversations I've had with her. They're very understated too. She's she is much much more to give than than what she's written in her books. But she wrote a book um, called Running on Empty. And the book is about uh, the effects of childhood emotional neglect. And what she writes in there very aptly is that most of us, I think today, think about psychotherapy. We'll use psychotherapy as a, just as a springboard. Sure. We're not just talking about therapy here. But most of us think of trauma. And trauma is the presence of something that has affected us. And we can turn back to it and say, you know, that instance where that person did a b and c that that messed me up and and we could work on on the flashbacks and the memories and whatever kind of fun tools we have the problem with childhood emotional neglect is is that we're talking about the absence of something that wasn't mm -hmm. and if we're talking about the absence of something that wasn't how do i know that it wasn't there how do i know what it is that that what am i looking for etc i do think that the more that I think about her work and the more that I think about that concept and the more that I work with clients, um, the more I see, and I think it gets harder and harder as we live so much with such busy lives and so much uh, paying attention to technology and um, all the different things that we're involved in, especially living, most of us live in cities and there's so many different things that are going on, social events and, and et cetera. I'm not even talking about pathology. I'm just talking about the basic life that we have. Yeah. What is the threshold that our, each one of our children need to be able to feel that their experience in life is valid? I'm not talking about that it's correct. I mean, it's a valid life. It's a viable life that matters. I think that people who are who 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 have experienced enough of that in their childhood have so much more resiliency and so much more curiosity. And the people who don't be, end up becoming either very closed off to that this whole world that we're talking about of the capacity for enchantment, curiosity. Life becomes very intense, very busy. Sometimes it ends up in craving and addiction and searching and yearning in, in ways that are just not healthy. But I think to me, the number one thing that, that is important is for each one of our children to be able to grow up knowing at their stages, and this is not an easy thing to do, but for each one of our children to know that their experience in life matters to me. before. I place a judgment on you, my child, on what you did. I'm first going to listen to you. I might yell and scream about what you did. I might tell you, know, like, it's the worst thing you ever did. I, like maybe, but first I want to hear you. First, I want to understand you. First, I want to be able to hear what you're doing. My, you know, my, my daughter always says to me, daddy, you're, you're, you're being a therapist, you're being a therapist. So that's, that's our, it's our cute little joke. I, I, I hope that's not really true. I hope I'm not being, not being a therapist, but yeah, like, I just want to know. I just want to know. I'm curious. I want to bring that curiosity to my kids because if if they can experience that that their experience is viable and matters, then they have the capacity to think, to be autonomous, to grow into their own individuals, to find their own way, to be curious, to, to develop some form of their own conscientiousness. I can teach them all I want about what's right and wrong. But if I want them to be able to make choices in their lives, they have to know that they have the ability to make choices. And those that ability only comes from a sense of autonomy. Hmm. And, and that's my job as a parent. So to answer your question, I think besides the 
conventional stuff like trauma and moving around too much and all that, you know, I, I, I think that um, curiosity only comes when people have the capacity to feel like they matter. And curiosity is what's needed for enchantment. Curiosity is what's needed for um, uh, seeing beyond finding opportunities. You know, curiosity to me is the greatest, the greatest way to get. I, I could speak for myself. You know, when I was when I was a young kid, I was very curious about these things. I read a lot of, you know, Rafaria Kaplan. When I was like fourteen, I read. I sat down and read like all, all that I can get. I was just curious about it. I didn't know what I, I didn't know that that would like serve me well as I grew up, but like curiosity really matters. You talked about a painting you have in your wall. I have uh, a sign, I go, you, you take this as you will as a, as, as a therapist. My mother bought me this sign. It says, it's a quote from Walt Whitman. It says, be curious, not judgmental. Those are the, it's the only like saying I have in my office, you know, be curious, not judgmental. Um, I think it says dare to dream. I have a little plaque that says that, but that's the big sign. Yeah. Curiosity. Yeah. Amazing. Oh. Really yeah. amazing. So, so my last question then is, so a person who didn't get that and doesn't have that naturally, how do they, how in adult life can they bring out that part of themselves or how can they work towards it? I don't, I, I would tell you that I can't answer that because I'm I'm a therapist and it's too close to home and uh, it's too close to home insofar as is like, I know, I know what I do as a therapist and, you know, I, the short answer is go see a therapist, <laughs> you know, and like, but like, really, I, I don't, there's a lot of, there's a lot of ideas that are out there. I just, you know, I, I find that, um, it, it's hard to it's hard to pinpoint particular advice to answer that question. I I just um, I think depend depending on on the state of of how much a person struggles in life that that determines whether or not they should or shouldn't see a therapist. Uh, but you know, Jonas Webb, Doctor Webb thinks that a person who spends more time getting to know themselves emotionally. And she has all these different techniques that people can can like look through to uh, take your emotions more seriously and learn about your emotions. Um, you know, that's a that's a, a very very true idea. Uh, I tend to think more existentially, as 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 you might you might gather. You know, <laughs> like I'm thinking about like the neshama and like recognizing that Hashem loves you and all that. Um, but how to how to develop your own curiosity? How to develop the vulnerability to be curious? Um, you know, I I I wouldn't I wouldn't know how to answer that. Like it's <laughs> it's just that's that's a much larger discussion. I mean, I, I can yeah. tell you the theories of psychotherapy and how I how I work and all that, but I that's not that's in the process of therapy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, I appreciate that answer. It reminds me of I don't know if this is exactly what you mean, but it reminds me you mentioned young before of I, I have not. Uh, Litsari, I have not, I have not read all that much, but there's a line from him that I, that I really like. Something to the effect of, in the practical uh, practice of of psychotherapy, there are no rules or recipes, only individual individual people. Right, precisely. So, how would you help someone develop curiosity? I have no idea until I meet them, <laughs> until I, I'm sitting with them, right? Yeah. And then, it, and then, it, and then it unfolds. Which really actually makes so much sense because that is what curiosity means. And so to 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 believe that that I could have a model for how to develop curiosity would be almost oxymoronic. Precisely. You said exactly what I what I meant to say. Yeah, it reminds me of the 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 the, the saying of the Yiddakadosh, which which certainly sounds quite controversial and provo and provocative. What what he said that uh in the service of God there are no rules, and this itself is no rule. Right. Yeah. 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 Thank you so much. So much of what you've shared is just really, really resonating with me and, and something I'm sure I'll, I'll think, I'll think a lot more about and you articulated it so, uh, so deeply and, and really Thank beautiful. You. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. It's an opportunity for me to, to, in a way, um, uh, reflect back to you that I, I think so much of what you wrote in this book was like, you know, I, 
the book I didn't write. Like this is like, mm-hmm. it's so up my alley and it's, you know, I don't know, I'll, I'll share this with you. I don't know if you want to include this in the, in, in the recording. This is a thought I had, I, I know it's it's late, but I'll, I just, it's right before Shavuos. Um, Bekitzer, Bekitzer. Yeah, please. Um, it's a, it's a, it's a, you have to just use, you have to allow yourself to use your imagination for this, but you know, um, the Klyosol said Nasa Vanishma right before right before the Torah. And, and the, the, the basic question is, you know, Hashem went around to all the different nations of the world and they all asked Maksivbe. And each nation, the Medrash says, Hashem told them the one thing he knew would be the hardest for them. And then the Gemara relates that there's a, there's actually, the Shema Shmuel says that there's actually a time on Klyosol why we never asked Maksivbe. We should have asked Maksivbe. Why did... So this is a thought that I had. I'll, I'll share this with you, and I think it's I think it's relevant to everything that we're talking about. When the Rebbeinu Shalom created Adam, so he said Nasa Adam, and the whole Velt has to has to figure this out. Rashi talks about it. It's a it's a Velt Kasha. Sure. Who is he talking to? Right. We're create man. So the Balshamtiv responds very uniquely, and he says that Hashem was talking to Adam. He was talking to Adam, and he was saying to Adam. You and I are both going to create you. We're going to become Shutfin in the Mice of Beratius. I am not going to create you whole. I'm going to create you fragmented, chaotic, missing. You're going to have to fill in the blanks. You're going to have to bring the potential and you're also going to have to figure out how to, how to be a Baal Bechira. You're also going to have to f- figure out all these things in life. That's up to you. And that's part of your Shlemus. Part of your Shlemus is the is the Svekus and the darkness, you're going to have to figure that all out. So I, I, I'm thinking to myself that the Umas Sa'ilam, when they heard the Torah, they heard in their minds, Hashem was saying, whoever's going to be Makabo my Torah, they're going to be the Mamlachas Kayan of God Kaddish. Kalayasol didn't hear that. They didn't hear anything like that. All they heard was an echo of Nasa Adam. Mm-hmm. Nasa Adam, Nasa Adam. And they responded, Nasa Adam, Nasa. Hashem said, now you're ready for the Torah. The Torah wow. begins with your my capacity to say, I want to, I'm looking for you. I want to find you. I recognize that there's something more here. There's some enchantment, like something. So that's why they never asked Maksifei. It didn't even, it was never Wow. And, so, and, 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 and without asking Maksifei, it leaves it open and it leaves it for the imagination and the curiosity, sure. the unknown. Amazing. Sure. That I never heard the the Tzushtel of the Nasa Adam and Nasa Vinishmas. That's that's really okay. A lot to think Bravo. about. Thank you so much. So good. So good to Stay to here. really meet you more and God willing more. Okay, looking forward. Take care. Thank you. Bye. Good to see you. so much for listening if you enjoyed this please follow us on whatsapp youtube or instagram all our podcast series can be found wherever you listen to podcasts i'd love to hear from you so please reach out with questions comments or suggestions or to be added to our whatsapp groups you can reach us through email using yakov y-a-k-o-v dot attached at gmail.com or on whatsapp at 773-888-2413